for a deep breath so you can relax because you're at the card pool. I'm your host, Stu Galetta. And I'm Kyle Robertson. And today we are talking about the top 10 money cards from Visions. This is part two of our two-part set review. Be sure to check out our previous segment in which we talked about the top 10 hidden gems that we found in Visions. But without further ado, let's start off this review. All right, let's dive on in with our first money card at $36. We have Vampiric Tutor. This is a one-drop black instant that reads, pay two life, search your library for any one card, shuffle your library, and then put that card on top of it. So this is a really solid, typical black tutor that we see in the game that is very powerful for the fact that it can literally go and find whatever card you need it to be, and you don't even have to reveal it to your opponents. So this gives you a whole bunch of advantages on a whole bunch of different fronts. Well, there could probably be some argument about this, but this might be, I think, the strongest tutor card ever printed in the game of Magic. It does require a small life payment, but it can put any card on top of your deck that's unlike some of the other comparison sort of cards we see to this, like Mystical Tutor, Enlightened Tutor, Worldly Tutor, which all cost one mana of their specific colors, but only get one certain type of card to the top of the deck. Vampiric Tutor pretty much does it all, and I guess you could kind of compare it to Demonic Tutor as well, which only costs two mana but puts the card into your hand with no life payment. I'm not exactly sure which one is better there. In some cases, I might argue maybe Demonic Tutor is better, but I think the less mana you can pay for your tutors, the better they are. Oh yeah, because literally what this does is it makes it so it is one more mana for whatever card you need. So for example, if you needed an Eternal Witness, it pretty much reads as a four mana cost card at that point. All you have to do is add a little bit of tax on mana to that and it's pretty much yours another great comparison to what this card can be is also like an imperial seal now granted that card is a lot more money so this is a great budget option to a card like that but any deck that's running black wants tutors and if you look towards demonic tutor we also have diabolic tutor and then we also have the brand new one masterminds acquisition so this is something you see a lot in magic so it's not something that's too hard to put into your deck no matter what your budget is and it's pretty much a great addition to almost any deck that runs black in any capacity but going forward to our next card on the list, this is actually a pretty much great addition to any deck that's running green. Number two on our list at $15.50 or thereabouts is Natural Order. Now this is a four mana green sorcery that costs two colorless and two green to play. You sacrifice a green creature and then search your deck for any green creature card and put it into play as though it were just played. You then shuffle your deck afterwards. Natural Order is obviously an extremely strong green card and probably just a strong card in general. It's almost a one-shot birthing pod type effect, but this is birthing pod on steroids and also even better than something more recent like Eldritch Evolution, for example, because it doesn't just one-up the mana cost of the card you sacrifice. It doesn't up to it like Eldritch Evolution. It's whatever card you want. You could turn a Llanowar Elf into a Crater Hoof Behemoth or some kind of crazy 10 mana creature or whatever it might be because there's really just no limit to its size or cost. However, I should note that it does have to be a green creature that you get. So there are limits. You can't turn a Llanowar Elf into an Emrakul, for example. No colorless creatures. Oh yeah, but once you start taking that out of the equation, it becomes a little bit more niche. You can't get your Eldrazi. You can't go ahead and get a Blightsteel, but you can still use this as a win con. If you have a Birds of Paradise that's on the field and not really doing much anymore, go ahead, sack it for this. I mean, heck, even tap it for mana for it, and then go ahead and cast this and cast it out early. 
your opponents are going to have to scramble for answers just so that you don't win the game flat out right there. Yes, this card will win games on the spot, and it is a sorcery, which can make it a little bit slower, but still, this is something that is just fantastic in so many different decks. Oh my god, can you just imagine the dream scenario where you have Vidalcan Orrery out, go ahead and cast this on your opponent's turn, and now you have a creature with haste that can come in on them? Oh man, that's just scary. But enough about this card, let's move on to our third which for the lovely price of $12, we're talking about Anvil of Bogarden. Now this is a two drop artifact, which is colorless, and it reads each player skips his or her discard phase. Secondly, during each player's draw phase, that player draws an additional card and then chooses and discards a card. So the first comparison that you could really see here is a card like Howling Mine, which is also a two drop artifact that makes it so that players can additionally draw another card on their draw step. But this one has a little bit of a tax effect in which you have to discard at the very beginning of your turn, not at the end. But also, it has the great luxury of making so that you flat out skip your discard phase. That's something that you really don't find in the game of Magic anywhere. Yeah, and there are similar effects out there like Reliquary Tower, which give you no maximum hand size, but it's not quite the same thing. It is sort of the same thing, though. It all kind of amounts to the same purpose. And like you said, Stu, this is a Howling Mine, Reliquary Tower, and some kind of weird looter-type effect all in one card. And I should add that while you're not exactly accumulating extra cards because you do have to discard every time with this card, selective discarding can be really powerful as cards like Faithless Looting have proved time and time again. And the chances are this card will stay around because everyone benefits from it, just like a Howling Mine, but it's better. Oh yeah, and in decks where drawing is the specific key, like for Nakusar, the Mind Eraser, the drawing is the key part. But also, if you think about this, the whole discard phase being nullified, you can really go ahead and abuse certain other things. The greatest examples I can think of are in white. You have land tax, you have gift of the estates, and those cards pretty much make it so you get bulk cards to your hand. Now, typically, you can go ahead and you'd want to play this early in the game. You go ahead and you take lands out of the equation, so this way you draw nothing but gas later on. So being able to keep those cards really can put you ahead and make it so that the discard on the beginning of the turn doesn't really accumulate to much. You can go ahead and pitch a land if you don't need it, or if you draw an extra land on your draw step, just lose that one. You still have a bigger maximum hand size, and you're making it so it's harder for your opponents to catch up. You're absolutely right, Stu. And kind of going along with what you were talking about there with some specific white cards, we're going to go to a white card next on our list. Coming in at our list at number four for $9 is Tithe. This is a one mana instant in white, and it says, search your library for a planes card. If you control fewer lands than target opponent, you may search your library for an additional planes card. You reveal those cards to all players and then put them into your hand and, of course, shuffle your library afterward. Honestly, Stu, I have to say I don't know really why this is a money card. I mean, it does help white to stay on its land drops, but it doesn't really ramp, which is something I just hate with cards like this. They put the lands into your hand, but they don't put them on the battlefield. It may be good, so you don't miss your land drops for the turn, but it just feels bad compared to what other colors, mostly green, can do. I also think that some later cards like Weathered Wayfarer, Solemn Simulacrum, even Knight of the White Orchid kind of do this one better because you're also hindered by the fact that you have to have fewer lands than one of the players out there. Not necessarily hard, especially if you're just in white, I guess, but Knight of the White Orchid does the same thing with a body. I don't really understand why you would play this and not something like that. 
I do see your point, Kyle. This isn't necessarily ramp, but it is doing something that white doesn't typically do. Usually it needs something like a Sword of the Animus to go two to four and then make it so that their creatures can start slowly putting them into play. This is another option, though. If you need the lands right then and there, you can have the option for it. And again, it can be any planes. And at instant speed, I might note, Rampant Growth is a green spell that's typically one mana more, but also at sorcery speed. So, I mean, think about it. If you are running green and white, this would be a staple for it for the fact that you can get any planes, which can be any form of hybrids for this, and get it right to your hand. It's like White's own version of Expedition Map. If you can think about having that in one color's arsenal, that is very powerful. But as for the price that you were bringing it up before, this is a card that was first printed in Visions and never printed once again. So if this is a card that gets reprinted, we could see the price drop. But until then, this is still going to be one of the cards that stands the test of time in Visions. Well, not one of my favorite cards, not something I would necessarily run, but I'm sure other people might. So it's true, the price could absolutely drop if this gets reprinted at some point, and it's not entirely outside the realm of possibility. But going to another white card on the list here, Stu, do you want to talk about this one? Now, this is one that I would definitely use in a deck. Well, of course I will, Kyle. At number five, going for seven and a half dollars, we have Retribution of the Meek. Now, this is a three drop sorcery for two generic and a white, and it reads Bury All Creatures with Power Four or Greater. So, this is a very easy to read board wipe that is in white, and white runs a whole bunch of board wipes. There's anything from Wrath of God all the way up to Route. So, they had their difference in numbers, but they always had their different forms of stipulations on them. This one being for the fact that a creature that is three power or less is now safe from the wrath of the board wipe. Very true, Stu. This actually is very similar to Elspeth's Son's Champion because her minus ability is pretty much this card. It destroys all creatures that have power four or greater. It could be interesting in a lot of different decks that only use low power creatures. Mono White kind of being the primary example because one of the things that those decks normally do is just spam out tokens or other low power creatures. It helps out with White's main weakness, which is that it plays small, aggressive creatures that really stack up poorly against the big creatures that other colors can bring out late in the game. So this kind of evens the playing field a bit, and that's really nice, while probably preserving your own board in the process. The one thing that I do see being a little niche with this is that there are a lot of creatures out there, as commanders especially, that have only a three power and three toughness. So it's in the realm of keeping anything that's lightning boatable alive. But if you think about all the commanders that it misses, you have Riku, you have Send Triplets. All those are commanders you really don't want to have on the field. So being able to not hit them is kind of a problem. But for Send Triplets, for this example, running white, this would be a great card to throw in it, just for the fact that it will miss your commander. And any deck that typically wants to leave the commander unscathed and use a card like Divine Reckoning to make it so that everything else goes except for the commander, this is a card that can really shine in those decks. Well, going to our next card on the list here, Stu, a card that reminds us of a white card, but is not really a white card. It's number six on our list. It's at $7, and it's called City of Solitude. This is a green enchantment that costs two colorless and one green to play. Each player may play spells and abilities only during his or her turn. This is kind of interesting to me because it reflects one of my favorite cards of all time, Grand Abolisher, on steroids. It's also less vulnerable than Grand Abolisher because it's not a creature. This means it's a really great tool for all those green and or white and maybe both Enchantress decks out there. It slows down control and combo players to green's level of speed, which is generally sorcery-based, 
and therefore not really surprising to other players, it cuts out those surprises, much like a blue card like Teferi, Mage of Zalfir. This is kind of giving green the tools that a lot of other colors use in order to slow down the game, and it's very interesting to me. Without a doubt, Kyle, this totally goes ahead and breaks the color pie for green. This is typically something that you see almost even in red for that example, just bringing other players down to its level. And for that, you really have to take note. And for all the reasons that you said, it's weak against instant speed. Counterspells have always been the bane of green. So being able to simply take that out of the equation, an early game, I might add, this is only a three drop. You can go ahead and play this early and not have it affect you. So you can go ahead and make it so that, all right, I don't have answers to anyone's stuff at instant speed, but now no one else does either. So this makes it so that everyone has to slow down, kind of have a gentleman's game of magic, if you would. Now again, some aggro players might hate that and control players definitely will, but you know, you have your risk, you have your reward, and green definitely needs this in its arsenal. I could definitely see this being a tool in some kind of actually really funny Selesnya prison deck with something like Karametra, God of Harvest as a commander, so you can focus on enchantments. You play this, you play Grand Abolisher, you play Ghostly Prison, you play all kinds of things like that, maybe even Eidolon of Rhetoric to slow down people's spells so they can only play them once per turn. That could be very, very oppressive. And it's really cool that green also has access to these kinds of things. Oh, without a doubt, that would be actually pretty solid to go ahead and see that. I would hate to play against it though. But moving forward to another card that can go ahead and give colors the ability to break what they typically do, our number seven slot does just that. For $6, we're talking about Teferi's Puzzle Box. Now this is a four drop artifact, all colorless mana, and it reads during each player's draw phase. That player counts the cards in his or her hand, then puts those cards on the bottom of his or her library, and then draws that amount of cards. So this is a a very strong wheel and deal kind of card for the fact that it can do this in any color. For any kind of deck that runs the problem of ramping or card draw, this can go ahead and solve it. It goes ahead and changes the game almost for the better for some, but worse for others. It's very true, Stu. This is a repeated wheeling effect that can really get annoying for a lot of players very quickly. It reminds me of cards like Mind Moil and Arjun the Shifting Flame. Cards like Leovold, Envoy of Trest, will lock your opponents out of the game in combination with this card because it just makes them straight up lose their hands, and since they can't draw any cards outside of their normal draw step, it stops them from drawing any cards, period. This is exactly one of the reasons why Leovold and other cards like it have been banned in formats like Commander. Also, it stops graveyard plays, interestingly enough, because the cards don't get discarded, they just go back into the deck, unlike most normal wheel cards. But I would like to say that in later editions of this card, they printed it to read that you have to put the cards on the bottom of your deck in any order you wanted. That can be really useful for bottom deck manipulation, which is something we don't really see outside of one single card ever, Grenzo Dungeon Warden. And I just think that that's a really potentially fun commander to play around with because of its just really bizarro effect. And Teferi's Puzzle Box is a great way to use him. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That is something to just go ahead and make it so that deck gets even more gas for it. And it does need it sometimes. But one thing I really do like about this, and especially me being more of a green player than you, Kyle, is it goes ahead and makes it so that players are obligated to use cards that they need to use right then, just for the fact that they're not going to get them back in the game. So go ahead, play your biggest creature. Go ahead, play the only board wipe you have, or just the last little bit of spot removal. You are only going to get this one chance, and you need to make it last right now. 
yeah, this puts a lot of pressure on people, and I do like it. And as with other cards that we've talked about already, this is another staple for Nesukar the Mind Razor. Man, that deck is just so mean. I don't really advise anyone ever playing it unless you just don't want to make friends. But it is good. It will win you games. I give you that. Oh, yeah. It's like an inverse group hug deck. But this next card coming up, Kyle, this is... Even me being a green player, it still kind of baffles me that it's in the game. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting one, Stu. And again, I did not know this existed until we went through this set. Our number eight card for the price of five and a half dollars is Undiscovered Paradise. This is a land that comes into play untapped and has the ability to tap and add one mana of any color to your mana pool. However, at the beginning of your next untap phase, you then have to return Undiscovered Paradise to its owner's hand. Look at this land, for starters. Comes into play untapped, gives any color. That's like a command tower, and that is very, very strong for multicolor decks, and pretty much most commander decks out there, a great utility land. It does go back to the hand, though. There is that slight drawback of it being so easy to play and use for whatever color you want. But hey, I actually don't see that as being much of a downside. It could be in the early game, not so much in the mid to late game, because more than likely you're doing less other land drops. It can easily be replayed and used immediately, which is really what wins it the day here over something like maybe Thawing Glaciers, for example. It also could potentially repeatedly trigger Landfall, which is something I find very interesting. Like you said, Kyle, this is something that goes back and can be replayed instantly. The only problem that I see about this is that it just doesn't grow your mana cap. This is something that's really good in the late game just for the fact that you can have continual droppage of your land, especially for a landfall like you said. But early game, this is almost a little bit better than having Temple of the False Gods with only three lands out. It just doesn't necessarily do you much because you're going to obligate the play for it. You won't be able to get your mana drop up to four or five, and you can be perpetually stuck in this. It's kind of like a coalition relic if you think about it. It gives you a jump, but only a temporary one. It doesn't always give you a further step. Now me being a green player, I'd rather use something else, but this is something like you said, another command tower. It is definitely something to take note of. Anything that can give any color mana is usually very strong, especially in commander. Yeah, and I think decks that don't have access to green and things like it to ramp very quickly will like this card a lot better than some other alternatives that might be out there. But speaking of land stew, next we're going to go to a card that actually makes you kind of double down on your usage of lands if you're willing to pay the price for it. Oh yeah, and that is by no mere margin. Our number nine for $5 is Squandered Resources. Now this is a Golgari enchantment for the price of one black and one green. Sacrifice a land. Add to your mana pool one mana of any type that Sacrifice land could produce. So this is a very strong two drop enchantment that can really make it so that this can win you the game. If you are struggling to get mana, it can make it so that you can go ahead and pay the ultimate price to make it so that you get there. If your commander tax is getting too high, go ahead, pop a land or two. If you gotta go ahead and make it so you can board wipe in addition to also regrowing your field, go ahead lose a couple lands, you can do so. This is a very low-costed card that really can shine in a lot of green and black decks. It may seem like a bit much to do, but just think about the advantage that this can give you if you play it early enough in the game, even late in the game if you need a big mana boost for something. This basically doubles your mana as long as you're willing to pay the price, although it may only be for one turn, so you better make good use of it. 
Titania, for example, is a commander that has great interactions with this card, but of course can't be played with it because it's green and black. Mazarek, however, or the Gitrog monster can do some really nasty things with this card by just enabling all kinds of sacrifice and draw and pumping shenanigans. And this is just an absolutely amazing card to have in the arsenal of those kinds of decks. Oh yeah, and also any deck that's typically running Threshold or Delirium, this is something that can make it so that is turned on super early in the game. Even if you don't want to go ahead and use this for a way to win the game, just to go ahead and turn on certain activated abilities like that, it just makes it so that your deck gets that much stronger, that much quicker. Also, can you think of how stupid this gets with something like with Mana Reflection or Doubling Cube? or even anything like Zendikar's Resurgent, you go ahead and you make it so that your mana base is growing way faster than any opponent. And hey, you play something like Crucible of Worlds, and it basically takes the downside of this out of the equation, so you're getting an insane amount of mana off your lands every turn. Although, Crucible of Worlds, I guess, is just kind of a broken card and works with a lot of different things. But still, it had to be said, this is just a really potentially powerful card that might get overlooked, and that's sad. So, I think more people should play it. So let's remove the green and move forward to just black now. Kyle, this one's yours. All right, number 10 on our list, the last card at $4 is Necromancy. This is another enchantment, a black one this time. It costs two colorless and one black. You may choose to play Necromancy at instant speed, but if you do, you have to sacrifice it at the end of the turn. Now, when you play Necromancy, you choose target creature card in any player's graveyard. When Necromancy comes into play, you then put that creature into play as though it were just played, and Necromancy becomes an aura enchantment that targets that creature. If Necromancy leaves play, you then have to sacrifice the creature. This is very similar to a card like Animate Dead, for example, which is another aura-type enchantment that basically reanimates a creature. But this is cool because it can be played at instant speed and also take from anybody's graveyard. That is, I don't have to tell you, potentially very, very good. The instant speed, though, may only help for one turn because the creature is going to have to be sacrificed after that. But this can still be potentially a very powerful card that can absolutely turn games around in your favor. Imagine being able to mill somebody or kill somebody's creature and then steal it, the most powerful creature they have for yourself. However, I would say this kind of balances out because being an aura that keeps that creature alive can make it somewhat vulnerable to targeted removal, especially removal that gets rid of the aura and the creature at the same time. It's kind of the whole downside to playing auras in the first place. But still, like I said, not much of a downside here because potentially someone else did all the work for you. Yeah, getting that kind of advantage, especially for only three mana, is very big. And especially if somebody has gone ahead and discarded something early in the game that they can't cast, you just go ahead and make it so your board state is something that's eons further than any opponent's. And Black has a whole bunch of these. Typically the big two are Reanimate and Animate Dead. But this is also very similar to the ones that have some sort of stipulation tacked onto them. We're talking about cards like Dance of the Dead or Exhume, in which by using this card, it has some sort of cost tacked onto it. Now, don't get me wrong, this is a very strong card, especially for the fact that it has instant speed. It goes in any deck that's typically running Grave Pact or Dictative Erebos. 
This is an easy way to make it so it's a one-shot effect that can save you or start a combo. So you really take all the benefits with this, and the whole fact that it only lasts till the end of turn really isn't a big minus, especially the more you start looking at it. I also really like the fact, Stu, that this doesn't tax you anything for playing this at instant speed, like it doesn't cost you more mana or anything, and also that it doesn't then exile the creature after you bring it back with Necromancy, because that's typically something you see cards like Whip of Erebos doing, for example, because they can't let creatures just go back to the graveyard to be used yet again. Necromancy kind of does, so you could bring it back later on even with something like a Zombify or a Beacon of Unrest or something else like that. This doesn't eliminate options, which is something I really like from any given card. So now we have concluded the money cards and visions as a whole. We've already gone through the hidden gems, but now it comes time to rank this set. So Kyle, would you like to tell everyone how we do this? Well, of course, Stu, we determine the rank of the set based off the hidden gems that we found, the mechanics and themes that are present within it, and how impactful the set was on Magic as a whole. And then based off of how we personally feel about those things, the set's then awarded a status of bronze, silver, gold, or up to the very tip-top, platinum. So, Stu, why don't you explain to us what you thought about Visions as a whole? Kyle, for me, this set was a no-brainer. Instant platinum, without a doubt. The mechanics, like cumulative upkeep, might seem counterintuitive to a lot of cards, but that wasn't the thing that really put me back far enough to make it so this set isn't worth what it's worth. I always thought artifacts were the strongest form of permanence in Magic aside from planeswalkers or creatures, just for the fact of how versatile they are and how strong they are. But this set has totally redefined enchantments for me just for how impactful they can be. They have been something that can totally change the tides of the game. There are two such enchantments that have really won me over. Dream Tides, which we talked about previously in the Hidden Gems, and also Righteous Aura, both of which are very strong powerhouses in the game, and I just was stunned that I've never seen these cards played in my entire time of being a Magic player. They are something that are so impactful in the game. But also, the way how they went ahead and kind of broke the color pie. Pygmy Hippo is a card that absolutely floored me as well. It goes ahead and makes it so it's pretty much mana drain on a hippo for just two mana, and it's so versatile in the game. One of the reasons this set almost became a gold for me were the mechanics like phasing and cumulative upkeep, just for how complicated they can kind of be, especially to new players coming in, and also how it can kind of limit their ability. But even still, the cards that had cumulative upkeep they needed them just for how strong they truly were. Elephant Grass is another card that just blows my mind for how little mana it costs, how much it truly does, and it needed Cumulative Upkeep to keep it balanced. Now, a card that needs Cumulative Upkeep is something that you need to recognize for just, again, how strong it truly is. But enough about mine, Kyle. Where does this stand for you? Well, I think I'm actually going to have to diverge here quite a bit from you, Stu, for probably the first time since we've been doing these reviews. I'm going to give Visions a silver medal, actually, and kind of going back retroactively and looking at one of our older reviews, Cons of Tarkir, I should probably have given Cons a bronze medal in retrospect, because this set I do like quite a bit more than I liked Cons, but still, Visions doesn't quite make gold or platinum level for me, and there are some reasons for this, despite the fact that I do like a lot of the cards that are present here. I mean, look at cards that are obviously powerful, like Vampiric Tutor, and look at cards that have a more subtle kind of power to them, like, as you were saying, Elephant Grass, or maybe even 
quicksand or dream tides or one of my personal favorites, crypt rats or desertion, for example. There are some really obviously powerful cards in Visions, but as a whole, that doesn't overcome the fact that I don't really feel the cohesion of this set as a whole. And I also am not a huge fan of cumulative upkeep and phasing as mechanics. They just tend to be really confusing and counterintuitive to gameplay, and I'm just not a huge fan of that. There's also the factor that we don't see a whole lot of these cards continuing to define multiple formats, so I would say overall the mark that Visions has left on Magic as a whole and how we think about the game is relatively low in comparison to some of the other sets that we've looked at, but still I was very close to giving this set a gold. I eventually decided to settle on a silver, and maybe that's a little bit harsh because there are obviously cards that I think are very powerful and deserve more attention, like Pygmy Hippo, as you so aptly mentioned, Stu. But overall, this set doesn't quite make the cut for me. There is some cool stuff in here, but I'm just gonna have to go with silver and leave it at that. So that's our pool time for today, and if you like the cards we had in our pool, be sure to tell us which ones you liked and where you see a home for them in Magic. You can either let us know in the comments down below or reach out to us on Reddit at MTGTheCardPool. You can also let us know on Twitter with a quick tweet at MTGTheCardPool or even post it on our Facebook page. And lastly, be sure to check out our previous reviews where we checked out the top 10 money cards and hidden gems from Scourge as well. I'm Kyle Robertson. And I'm Stu Galetta. And we'll see you next time at the Card Pool.